Hi everyone, it's Kat here. I'm joined by my co-hosts Agatha and Nastya. Hi guys. Hi there. Today we've got an absolutely insane story of a guy who drove from Kiev into Mariupol in the middle of March to evacuate his family, and not only once but twice. Agatha found and produced the story, so she'll lead us through it. The guy we are talking about today, his name is Max, and Max was born in Mariupol. He grew up there. Went to school there, then to a local university, and eventually he moved to Kiev somewhere around 2012. And so he's been living in Kiev ever since.、Um, while his family and his brother, they, you know, they've been living in Mariupol. So before February 24th, Max was telling me that nobody wanted to leave the city, and up until the first weeks of March, everyone he knew basically refused to leave Mariupol, even though there was already quite intense shelling and bombardment. And so his family was actually amongst those that refused to leave、uh, because they never believed that the war would get this bad. Max, however, treated the situation much more seriously. And just a week after the war began, regardless of what his family was thinking, he had already made his decision. You know that they needed to get out. Look, I made a decision for myself. On March second, cell service was out in Mariupol. The Russians purposely shelled power plants, cell towers in Mariupol, and basically cut the city off from communications. We hoped that it's going to get better, but it didn't. So in a week, around the ninth, I was already trying to go to Mariupol. I wanted to go. I was looking for ways to get there, but didn't find anything. It was impossible to either get in or out of Mariupol at this time. I considered the option of going to Zaporizhia, which is near Mariupol, just staying there in hopes that there will be a green corridor. A friend of mine did that, trying to get her parents out, but she just stayed there. Then drove through all the checkpoints, went through the entire front line near Mariupol, and in the end, the military didn't let her through into Russian-controlled territory. It was too dangerous. So I wasn't particularly interested in doing this. I didn't understand the point of just sitting in Zaporizhia and waiting. But as soon as the first reports appeared that there might still be a chance to pass through, I left Kiev immediately. Max wasn't the only one who wanted to get his family out of Mariupol. So alongside, there was others who were looking for ways to, you know, evacuate people from the city. And so they ended up forming a group chat on Telegram and gathered a column of seven vehicles. And so their trip began on March 18th at 5 a.m. They all met at a gas station as a Borisia, which is roughly 230 kilometers away from Mariupol, and that drive usually takes someone two and a half hours. But for Max and others, it took over eight hours to get to Mariupol. Wait, so what took them so long? Was it just shelling attacks? Well, actually, everyone was very scared, and it took them a long time to finally get going and to decide which car was going to go first and lead the column. Because you know, imagine you're going into a city which is basically under occupation. You have no understanding of like what's going on in there. So everyone's obviously afraid to go in, and everyone's thinking, "Oh, okay, should I be? What's the safest place?" So that's kind of what was going on. But then we finally got together, united, and agreed that we'll wait for everyone, and each car will keep an eye on the vehicle in front and in the back, so the column doesn't break. Because it was really very scary. While you're driving through the territory that's under Ukrainian control, you don't have such a strong fear because even if our military is seriously checking you at checkpoints, you know that it's justified. But when you enter Russian-controlled territory, 
That's where it begins. Then when they finally hit uh, the first Russian checkpoint, somewhere near the village of Polohi, Russians began expecting their cars. And they also wanted to see how much money each person had. Uh, you know, they took all of their cash out, out of their pockets and they made them count it. But they actually didn't take any of it. So they basically just wanted to know how much each person had for, you know, whatever reason. That's really strange, especially that they didn't try and steal their money because we know they don't have any problems with stealing <laughs> things from people. Um, <laughs> but I guess if you're thinking about it, if they're preparing for a transition from hryvnias to rubles, which we saw them do in cities like Kherson, yeah. I guess the hryvnias won't really be worth anything to them, which is probably why they didn't try and steal them. Yeah, actually, that's a good point, potentially. Um and actually, at one other checkpoint, Russians literally stripped everyone down to their underwear and they were checking tattoos. And that's something that we know, you know, they've been doing in other places as well, right? Yeah, they've, they've been doing the same thing all over the occupied territories. You know, we've heard this in Bucha. They would check people's tattoos looking for, you know, like Ukrainian national symbols, trident tattoos and such, which is Quite unfortunate because actually since the war began, a lot of people started, you know, getting those tattoos, us included. I have a trident tattoo. So, you know, if I'm ever taken captive, but this isn't going to go well for me. I guess everything was okay. No trident tattoos on Max. (laughs) So eventually Max, um, their columns split up into two because, um, well, there was a few, there was some kind of disagreement and some differences into like the routes that they wanted to take. And so Max ended up taking a route through the little village of Nikolske, which um, led him straight to Mariupol. And so he entered Mariupol on March 18th, and he basically, you know, gets into the city and he starts making his way through the streets, which are completely destroyed. And many are basically blockaded by rubble or, you know, just dead bodies lying around. Just so you understand, they're shelling basically every minute in Mariupol, and it's very close. The asphalt is all crushed, there are missiles sticking out of the ground everywhere, and you're obviously very worried that this shelling is happening. God forbid your car breaks or you puncture your tires. So I was going down this street and there is an entire power line just laying flat on the ground, so I had to drive around it. There were tanks and armored vehicles just all torn apart after the fighting and a lot of corpses lying around, a lot of bodies of dead domestic animals. I don't know. Either their owners died or couldn't take them when fleeing the city, but there are lots of dead dogs and cats. So Max is on his way to his brother's house, and his brother, he lives in the outskirts of the city. This is still the outskirts. You just get into Mariupol. And he basically was telling me that there isn't a single building in the city that hasn't been destroyed. And then as he was just 100 meters away from his brother. Keep in mind, there's like fighting going on, you know, like the the city is basically like in the middle of the most intense period um, of, well, I guess like the siege and just the fighting. And a drunk Russian soldier in a broken car basically makes an appearance. And then a Russian soldier drives up to me in a car, and his car only has three wheels. It's missing a wheel, as in there's no tire on it. And so he lowers his window, points a gun at me, and starts getting out of his car. So I get out of my car too, and he says, all right, 
The car is mine now. I tell him, listen, I'm trying to save people, evacuate them. But he was so aggressive, pointing his gun at me, telling me to shut up, so I did. It was also quite obvious that he was drunk. There was no one else around us. He told me, take everything from this car and put it into yours. There was body armor, machine guns, and grenades in his car. So it's been 15 minutes since Max has entered Mariupol, and he is now standing there without a car. He's stranded basically in a ruined city, and there is incredibly intense fighting just like going on around him. At that moment, I was a bit lost. I didn't really know what to do because, well, it's been 15 minutes since I entered Mariupol. I just let my fear sink in, and now my whole plan was ruined. I planned to get everyone out in my car, but my parents' car was broken. So he walks towards his brother's apartment complex, and the first thing he sees is... There was a dead body laying on the ground near one of the houses. And there was such devastation, it looked like an apocalypse. There is a house in front of you, and it's not just burned, it just doesn't have any floors in the middle of it. Right behind you is another building, and an apartment is burning. There are no windows in any buildings. As you're standing there, there's shelling, everything's shaking, and the rubble is constantly falling from the buildings. So Max finds his brother, along with his wife, her mom, and her sister, who is 10 years old. And Max told me that he basically just sort of, you know, walked up to his brother Sasha without getting into much detail. But it's really interesting that actually when we were doing, you know, an interview with Sasha and his account was a lot more different um, of their meeting than, you know, what, how, how Max basically described it to be. I see that Max is walking. I'm looking at him shocked. He's just walking and they start shelling our neighborhood again. And so this is Sasha, the brother. He is also from Mariupol. He has lived there his whole life. And so before the war broke out, he was an electrician for a public transport system, well, the public transport system in the city. And he told me that when Max showed up, um, there was obviously very intense shelling of their neighborhood. Max isn't running at all. He's just walking, mumbling something to himself. I tell him, come on, run after me. And he doesn't start running, just continues walking a little bit faster. I tell him, you don't understand what's going on. You have to run. There's a school near us. Its windows and doors were broken. So I tell him, screw this. Let's cut our way through the school so we don't have to run outside during the shelling. But he doesn't care. He just continues walking. I tell him again, you don't understand what's happening. And Sasha says that he just wanted to swear and scream at him for how reckless he was. I wanted to swear at him when I saw him casually walking under the small fire. But I was also very glad when I saw him. I was extremely glad. I hugged him and told him that I was very proud of my brother. He's a great guy. So eventually they make their way to the building where Sasha's family is. And Max tells them to pack up so they can really quickly leave. But they refuse. Wait, what? Why? They say, we won't go anywhere. You're out of your mind. They will kill everyone here and we will all die. So I start persuading them, but they just don't agree to anything. They are just crying, literally crying, because they genuinely believe that they will all die. They were so terrified they didn't even want to be saved. 
Even though they just had to walk for a little bit with me to reach some relative safety in another neighborhood where there was no shelling at that moment. And so at this point, Max doesn't know what to do. So he just decides, okay, if I can't get my brother out, I'm going to go to my parents. So he goes to his parents' house. You're walking and everything's falling behind you. You're in a building and there's a missile exploding right near it and the building starts shaking. And the shells don't fly somewhere far, they're flying right into your yard. You'd literally see them flying in and exploding. But before going to my parents, I decided to look for my car. I did not know how to behave myself so that I would not be killed. And so the locals uh, told Max to pretend that, you know, he was searching for water. However, there was another problem. I stood out a lot compared to everyone else in Mariupol because I was clean. I also made another mistake. I went there wearing a red jacket, so I really stood out because everyone there is very dirty or wearing a military uniform. I actually would have never even thought about that. That's crazy. Yeah, right. And so then Max runs into a group of Russian soldiers. And so they basically are pointing a gun at him, checking his documents. And after he explains the situation with his car to them, they advise him to go to their kind of local headquarters or whatever they set up there, where he could maybe, you know, get his car back. And so he goes, but he doesn't find anyone in that building. So then he goes towards his parents' house again and where he sees around 10 to 15 Russian soldiers changing into civilian clothes. So, you know, imagine that he's walking and thinking, okay, can I even, should I even look in that direction or should I not? Because, you know, God knows how, how they will even react to this. So he basically glances at them and then, you know, continues walking. I kept walking, and the more I walked, the more I saw just insane things. I saw parts of human bodies, a lot of corpses, corpses of dead animals, bodies of people. It was all terrifying. You keep walking and see Russians on tanks. I couldn't even comprehend this, really, because it was the first time I saw something like that. This crazy fear, you're just soaked in it, head to toe. You can't think straight because you see all these things. You just can't think. It's just some kind of emptiness and crazy fear and you're insanely scared because you don't understand at what point your life can end now. I've never been right on the brink of death before. This fear is unreal. Yeah, we've actually seen many reports of, you know, Russian soldiers dressing up in civilian clothing for whatever reason, for undercover operations or to maybe hide from Ukrainian attacks. They've also been reporting Russian soldiers dressing up as civilians to desert the battlefield. I mean, I have no idea what those soldiers in particular were doing, um, but Max obviously didn't stick around to find out. So eventually he reached his parents and his father has a car, but it's broken. So they had to fix it. And so they go to their apartment to pack and his mom basically tries to take as much as possible with her. So she starts packing family photos and like taking off the frames off of the walls. And Max is telling her that, hey, you know, we can't be doing this. We have to hurry up or, we'll, you know, we'll get killed because there's active shelling going on right next to where they are. And I mean, for, for their mom, I mean, family photos, especially thinking that you might never, you know, come back to this apartment again. It's obviously something important. So they actually ended up having a fight. But then eventually, you know, she gave in and Max 
goes to the basement of their building after this, where there's around 100 people that are sheltered. And he starts telling others that, hey, like, there's this opportunity. Let's get out. Of, let's get out of the city. Let's leave. Or at least explaining to people which routes they can take to get out. Um, basically, just explaining to them that, like, getting out is an option. But then again, everyone refuses. Just so you understand, they were so scared to go out into the street that they made the toilet in the basement so they don't have to go upstairs. Time goes insanely slow there. An hour passes and you feel like a whole day has already passed because there's nothing to do there. You're sitting in complete darkness, literally in complete darkness. It's ferociously cold there. When I was in the basement, for example, it was minus three degrees Celsius. And at minus three, people sleep on concrete, on pipes, with rats. So the conditions were terrible, completely unsanitary. So they have to leave, but then they hear shelling again and really intense shelling right in their neighborhood. So they hide in the basement. And at this point, they basically have to make a decision. So do they leave now in the middle of fighting, considering that they can basically die or, you know, that their car can be damaged? Or do they like just not leave and not risk it at all? And in the end, they do decide to risk it. Just imagine you're sitting inside of a building and a shell or missile flies into the yard and your car is there. Now you have 10 seconds to think, do we leave now? Or are we all going to die if we do? At that moment, it's now or never. So they start driving two cars with 15 people inside. Uh, you have Max, his parents, another family that joined them with their kids and, you know, a few other civilians. His brother and his family, Max's, they actually don't go with them. Um, but you know, we'll come back to the story a little bit later. And so they drive through a bunch of Ukrainian and Russian checkpoints. Meanwhile, the shelling hasn't stopped. So... Fighting is basically going on nonstop in Mariupol, and anyone who is there basically risks the possibility of getting killed any moment. But they get out of the city and they start moving towards Berdyansk, which is another city which is occupied by the Russians. It's around 85 kilometers to the west of Mariupol. In the car, everyone was crying. My mom was crying. Right as we left Mariupol, there was this emotional outburst. Everyone just starts crying and weeping because everyone's just so relieved. I remember there was a bridge that was blown up and we had to detour and go around it. We had close to no fuel left. And at that time, there was just no fuel, either in Mariupol or Berdyansk. So you're just isolated and you're driving and holding on to the last drop of hope that you'll have just enough fuel to make it. And so Max's family actually has a house in Berdyansk. So that's, you know, why, where they're going. And the drive takes them around four hours. Um, and so Max, you know, he gets there, he drops everyone off. And now he decides that he has to go back to Mariupol because his brother's family is still in Mariupol. And Max is still holding out hope that somehow, you know, he can get them out as well. But now he basically needs to find another car because, um, well, his parents' car is in really bad condition. You know, it broke a bunch of times when they were getting out. So, you know, it can break any moments and it's not something that he can take a whole day drive in. And also, moreover, Russians that are encircling the city actually confiscate the car um, if you're driving a car that is not registered in your name. So he basically has to find someone 
well, a person with a vehicle who would be crazy enough to drive him to Mariupol. And somehow he actually manages to find a person like that. And so the person he finds actually took a few similar trip to already evacuate his own family from Mariupol. And he basically decides that, okay, yeah, I'm going to help Max. But Max tells me that the second trip that he had to take was actually a lot more frightening than the first one. You just got out of this horror, and now you have to go back into this horror for the second time. And moreover, you understand that when you drive toward a place where there is shelling, you already know what that's like, you've seen it, so it's a double the amount of fear. Because when you get out for the first time, you still believe in some kind of luck, that maybe you just got lucky. But when you're going there for the second time, you think, what if you don't get lucky this time? So Max gets to his brother's place and they're finally ready to leave. And so they find another vehicle. Basically, while Max was getting his parents out, people that stayed with his brother in the basement actually ended up fixing someone else's car. And so in the end, Max drives out two people, one of whom was an elderly woman who had a serious medical condition. So she, well, basically her her joints, they don't bend. So she has to lay flat in the back seat, um, as well as her daughter. And Max's brother's family, they drive out in the second car. So meanwhile, the brother, Sasha, he actually ends up walking out of the city on foot um, together with his three friends. Wait, that's pretty crazy that they actually walked out. I mean, I can't even remotely imagine what, you know, someone feels having to do that to walk out. Even though, you know, I read and listen to these stories, I still can't fully comprehend how much courage one has to have to, you know walk in the middle of bombardment. But at the same time, you know, I guess when you're trying to survive, those calculations probably come very quickly and they're quite simple. Yeah. Yeah. And so while Max is actually driving people out, Sasha stumbles upon an evacuation bus, which is organized by the Russians and which takes them to Nikolsky, a little village on the outskirts of Mariupol. So Sasha, he ends up spending the night there at his friend's house. And then finally, the next day, his other friend, who is in Berdyansk uh, at that time, who had a car that works, which is a rarity, uh, as you can tell, <laughs> drives to Nikolsk to pick up Sasha and then bring him back to Berdyansk. And so this is sort of the end of Max's crazy journey. And so with the help of others, he got his entire family out of Mariupol. So where are they all now? Did they stay in Berdyansk? So everyone but Max's parents actually eventually made their way back to Ukraine-controlled territory. And Sasha and his family are now in Kiev with Max, but their parents, they went to a house that they had in the Nyesk Oblast, um, which is in a village under that is under Russian control at the moment. Wait, I don't get that at all. Um, so, you know, after all of the hell they've gone through, they choose to stay in the occupied territories again? Why? And to be clear, it quite literally was hell. Max had mentioned that he once walked past an old Ukrainian checkpoint that literally had welcome to hell written across it. Well, it's it's difficult. Uh, in part, it's because they have property there. So it's not just, you know, something completely foreign, like moving to a new city. It's probably just a bit more convenient. And so Max says that they were also scared that the fighting might progress deeper into Ukraine and they might be under um, bombardments again. And in that village where they are now, uh, where they have a house, There is no fighting whatsoever, uh, so they just, I guess, feel safe there. And so another reason, actually, is because they are part of the tiny minority that we have, uh, which, you know, which is what we'd call pro-Russian. 
Ah, well, okay. Now that makes sense. Well, do we have any stats on this, on the size of the minority? Because, of course, we know that we're a democratic country, so there's people with all sorts of opinions, good ones or bad ones, and it's expected. But it seems as though, I mean, I imagine that the people who have any sort of sympathies towards Russia have diminished if, you know, shrank substantially since the war began. Yeah, I think the latest study that I've seen, which was conducted in like the middle of May, it said that it was about 2% of Ukrainians that felt positively towards Russia as opposed to 92 that felt negatively. And then, you know, there are the 6% that was undecided. Um, and I mean, of course, we can talk about how accurate the polls are, how large was the sample and also the fact that obviously the sample didn't include parts of Ukraine that were occupied at the time of the study. So, you know, basically there's no way to accurately predict attitudes in many parts of Ukraine's east and south, which are currently under occupation. But nevertheless, it's clear that, you know, this minority is uh, quite, quite small and the overwhelming sentiment is um, anti-Russian. Well, I guess the question that I have now is, you know, Max risked his life multiple times to go into Mariupol. How does he feel about his parents' decision to go back to occupied territory. Max has told me this before that kind of his like parents' political views and their decision has made him very upset. Um, and he obviously strongly disagrees with his parents in this regard. He has actually said that he doesn't speak with his father anymore for this reason. But Max has hope that everything, you know, will be Ukrainian once again. I bet a hundred bucks that Mariupol will be Ukrainian again. So, you know, I have double motivation now because I will owe people some money. That's it for today. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.